We are live, not really live. We're recording for another edition of 30 Rack of Sports. It is episode 13 on January 20th, 2020. I am Greg, and across from me, a man who may or may not know what a record button looks like. Running the ones and twos and giving us a little bit of a, a, I guess a practice run through our first segment or two. Josh, how you doing this time around? Uh, this time around, I'm doing a lo- lot better because I did my job correctly. Um, may have had some bloopers, but it's Monday. It's MLK Day. We were all off today. Uh, well, you know, so some of us were off today. I was going to say, certainly some of us, but uh, could be worse off. You could have the all my favorite teams like to lose in the semifinals flu. Unfortunately, yeah. no Zach today. Uh really feeling the effects of that Packers loss last night, so will not be in with us today. And uh, the Buckeyes. The guys had a lot of losing on his plate over the yeah. past week, so we we'll, feel for you, guy. We miss you. We'll be back with you next week. Well, thankfully, we still got a couple of his takes, and we get all the beer he's not drinking, so. That is true. Cheers to that. What um, are we drinking uh, this, this fine Monday evening, Greg? Before I get into what we're drinking, just a quick intro into the show. Uh, obviously, talking a lot of Ohio news, uh, whether it's the Jackets or the Cavs, a uh, little college basketball roundup, talk a little bit of soccer, talk about what the hell's going on in Cleveland with the Browns recently, um, and then also discuss, you know, um, NFL Championship weekend, the Packers lost, haha. And then the uh, Astros are big cheaters again, and maybe finish up with a little bit of XFL with that league starting up. Some uh, yeah. scrimmaging going on today. So, uh, without further ado, we will start the show as we always do by raising our glass and drinking a nice beer. Hey. Cheers. Ooh. That was very loud. That was extremely loud. We, we got the new mics, some new equipment in here today, too. So. Forgot about that, but More that was a nice thing. We got the fancy UC in Cavs glasses tonight. So. And uh, we are using these fancy glasses to drink a beer by Dogberry Brewing in Westchester, Ohio, over by Union Center. And we are drinking their Hooked Leg ESB. Now, I asked you this during our practice run, so it's already been ruined. But, uh, Josh, any idea what an ESB stands for? Uh, did you? What did you say? Ruined? Ruined. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, an ESB, I believe, uh, I believe it's pronounced extra special bitter. Yes. Is, is that correct? That is very correct. And uh, doing a little bit of research per craftbeer.com, it is an English pale ale that is known for its balance between, or I'm sorry, its balance and the interplay between malt and hop bitterness. So. You get the malt, you get the hop, you get yeah, the bitterness. There's some good interplay in there between the hop and the bitterness of the malty and the hop, you know. It's got the nice English ale flavor, and we've already lost Josh because we're talking interplay early in this show. So. Oh, you dog. I guess Dog, it, dog check there. Definitely a dog check, but uh, almost as important as this beer. Little Ohio news. You're telling me Ohio sports news is more important than Ohio beer? No, I said almost as important. Okay, okay, cool. Make make sure our priorities are in order here. But someone that's making it easy to not drink and watch sports, even though I still like to have a couple while I'm watching them. Jackets, scorching hot playing on the ice this week. 4-0 with wins over Boston, Carolina, New Jersey, and at the Garden. 
against the Rangers last night. Uh, The guy who's really stepped up with um, Corpusalo's injury has been Elvis Merzlikens, who has three shutouts in his last four games. And then also starting last night was the uh, debut of Matisse Kivlinics, who uh, allowed one goal on 32 shots last night. So the Jackets have been scorching hot, as I mentioned. 9-2 Nine and two in their last eleven, thirteen and four in their last seventeen. Now it's sixty points and occupy the first wild card spot. And would actually be higher up if they were in one of the divisions where people weren't playing as well. So really impressive to see what the Jackets are doing so far. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to see where they've come with what they've lost and the injuries that they've had to encounter this first half of the season. Like you said, they're in the first wild card spot. They're only with their win last night against the Rangers. Uh, they're only one point away from uh, being in third place. Uh, they're one point behind the New York Islanders. So, I mean, and when you look for where they were last year, they're one point better at this point yeah. now than they were last year. And, I mean, that's just ridiculous to see because at that point, you know, they had more of the talent. They had Panarin, who, who they saw last night. They had, you know, Bobrovsky. And, but they've just been plugging through. And you see some of these guys, it's plug and chug. And then when they come back, they're coming back hot. Uh, actually, last night... Um, we mentioned him a couple weeks ago, right before he went on IR, Oliver Bjorkstrand, who was killing it before he, he ended up getting hurt with an upper body injury. Well, last night was his first game back since uh, just before Christmas. And he came back with uh, quite the game. He had both Columbus goals last night, both in the third period, including a game-winning goal with 26.5 seconds left yeah, in the game. on just huge. A nice breakaway. Uh it was only the second game-winning goal with under 30 seconds left in the NHL this year. So clutch play, awesome to see, you know, as guys start to get healthy, still coming back, able to mesh back in with the system that they have. And, you know, just about a month ago, they were they had the fourth-worst record in the NHL. They had 32 points in 33 games, and now they're just on fire and, you know, yeah, and you really wonder how far they can go at this point. It's it's crazy to see how they, they've become the NHL's most interesting team right now. I mean, they're 15-2-4 since the beginning of December. Uh, what's going to be interesting to me, and yeah, you said they've got guys coming back with Brookstrand and uh, Kim Atkinson coming back, who had a big night the other night. Uh, the trade deadline's coming up. And the Blue Jackets last year, they were in a worse spot than they are now, and they were looking Super outside aggressive. in. They were looking outside in, and they decided to go all in and, yeah, be very, very aggressive at the trade deadline. Now they're actually on that play. They have a playoff spot, and they have the fourth most cap space to work with. Uh, So, really, I think they'd like to get another goal scorer, add a piece to the offense. They're still 24th in the league for points per game, and they don't have a player inside the top 75 uh, for scoring. So if they could get another scorer or two, I think that'd be wise of them but how aggressive are they going to be with as aggressive as they were last year that left them very slim pickings draft wise yeah and that's one of the things that you also think about is you know last year they were kind of in a position where they had a number of free agents at the end of the year so at that point it was kind of, it kind of almost seemed like the last go because they were looking like they were right. gonna have to rebuild anyways at this point they are kind of having some young talent that's you know coming together and maybe with some of the cap space maybe you take on a bad contract to you know get a good player or if not do what you can this year and then you know you've shown that you can be successful with 
you know, a bunch of young players that are under contract for a while. And then you can start to add free agents and say, hey, I want to go somewhere. You know, I can get paid right. to play on a team that's, you know, already ready made to to contend to some degree. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I think they're definitely can acquire more easily acquire more pieces because, yeah, they're they're making that push. And with the exciting wins that you get, like late in the third period like that, the momentum that creates to already a red hot team, it'll be really interesting. I expect them to be aggressive. Yeah, and uh, from one team that was, you know, just killing it this week to another team that was getting Fun times just completely today. killed this week. Cleveland. I had I had to do it to him. It's been a rough rough week, rough road trip. Uh, so the Cavs finished up uh, 0-4 this week, uh, now 0-5 after their loss tonight to the Knicks. Uh, but 0-4 during the past week to finish the road trip 2-6. Uh, losses at the Lakers, at the Clippers, at Memphis, and at Chicago. They led at the half in three of four of the games and ended up going 0-4. Um, All four teams shot better than 50% against the Cavs. And to top it all off, in Memphis on Friday night, Tristan Thompson in the third quarter, you know, game's kind of close, uh, shooting a free throw. And former teammate Jay Crowder comes by, and he decides to smack the booty of uh, one Jay Crowder. Ends up getting teed up for it and tossed. One of two butt slaps that I'm sure we'll discuss at yeah. some point this uh, this episode, but certainly not something you want to see. Um, I was going to say it looked like they had a chance for a turnaround with you know New York, Washington, Chicago at home, but after a 20-point loss to the Knicks and an 0-5 record in their last five, a kind of feisty team has once again fallen to be one of the worst teams in the East. Yeah, it that that was that was a really frustrating road trip. Uh, not not only for Cavs fans, but for Cavs players, for Cavs coaches. I mean, when you look at about a week and a half ago when this started, you had the whole "Are they slugs? Are they thugs?" debacle with yeah. Coach Beeline in the locker room, and then to end the road trip. You blow a 19-point lead after your best half of shooting all year. And, I mean, that's just what it is with this team. I mean, like, it's one step forward and five brutal beatings backwards. Like, and that's what it seems like. And, you know, they were talking about it. I, I caught a little bit of the game before we started recording. And the one thing the color commentator Austin Carr said is it's just the third quarter blues for him. You know, they play so well in the first half. Even in this Knicks game, it was, you know, it was a one-point game at half. But they score, you know— five points in the first six minutes, you know, against the Lakers, they ended up getting blown out and they were up by, you know, 10 in the second quarter. They right. were up by a couple points at the end. Really the only game that they were pretty beat down from the beginning to the end is the Clippers game, but Memphis, they were up in the third quarter and Chicago, like you said, they had a big win or they had a big lead. So I know some of it is the young guys working through mistakes, but you really want to see some results at some point. You really want to see, you know, them figure it out. And at that point you question, you know, is it coaching? Are they ready to come out? Are they making the adjustments? Well, that was, that was the two points I was going to make is that, I mean, especially in that Chicago game, when you had that 19 point lead, you shot your best half of the season, but then you also had 26 turnovers, most of them coming in the second half in the third quarter. So it's just those, you, you have to figure out how to get those young guys in your team to play a full four quarters because we saw glimpses all the, this whole road trip, this whole past week and a half, we saw glimpses of the Cavs being able to be that team, but but not for a full game. And to, on the coaching standpoint, 
I think you did you did see some players that said that the relationship is coming around. You know, coaches canceled some of those practices on those like three games and four night stretches. Uh, so, you know, I think you would have liked this kind of relationship melding between coach and players to have come earlier in the season. But, you know, at least that's one thing that you can kind of take away at this point. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's certainly something you have to hope for. Uh, you know, they're a team that you feel like, you know, they're not going to be a good team. Maybe their ceiling for this year was like a late lottery team or yeah. something like that. But you would kind of expect to see some of these performances. And it seems like a lot of the other teams, even the, you know, the young, not great teams, maybe the Hawks kind of excluded, but you see some of them, they'll have a couple complete games and then maybe some down games, but it almost seems like the Cavs are so bipolar that it's quarter to quarter. Right. You know, you look at, the, like, the Bulls game, they had, you know, 70-plus points in the first half, you know, 40 points in the second quarter. They had 14 points in the fourth quarter. You know, they, they've they've had a lot of, like, fifth sub-15-point quarters, and it just seems like they just kind of lose their way for a while. So it's it's certainly difficult to watch, but... Hopefully it's it's kind of a learning experience, but uh, the one thing that you kind of that's kind of difficult is, you know, with it being January and the trade deadline coming up, you know, early next month, you're not going to get possibly all that continuity because you wonder how many more people are going to leave. You know, you have Clarkson who's left, and we have Exum who's been sick about half the time he's been here, but when he's been playing, he's been pretty decent. Uh, you. Don't know what's going to happen with Kevin Love, you know, if someone will even take that contract. Uh, Tristan Thompson, of course, only has a year left. There are a couple guys that, you know, only have a year left that, that they can try to, you know, get some assets for. So it just makes things that much more difficult when you have a whole infusion of new people, you know, during the middle of a season when you're already still trying to gel right. this late in the season. Yeah, I mean... Uh yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do at the at the, at the NBA tra- trade deadline. Because, yeah, I mean, I, at the one hand, you want to have some sort of consistency, but at the same time, I just feel like this season's never going to get to that point. Yeah, so. you're just going to have to, you know, get all the assets that you can. Uh, a lot of money comes off the book after this year, so hopefully, just find a way to, you know, uh, get some growth out of your your young players like like Garland and Sexton and and Osman and some of the guys in the front court, you know, in the backup role. And I guess get a good, good pick and try to get like a Wiseman or something in the draft. But, uh, we'll get to the, we'll get to that at, at some point, but, uh, shifting over, I guess, to the draft eligible players to, to some degree. And, uh, one of the potential lottery players that plays in Dayton with Obi Toppin, the Dayton Flyers had a big scare in St. Louis on Friday night, but were able to, come out victorious on a Jalen Crutcher's three-point buzzer beater to uh, beat the Billikens 78-76 in overtime. Uh, this was uh, this was one of those games for the Flyers where they it looked the whole game like they were just kind of out of it. They came out slow. They weren't shooting well. You know, they were down 13 points with under eight minutes and, you know, able to get up five points with about two minutes left, ended up blowing that lead, and then down of course down one with just six seconds left and you know made the buzzer beater so certainly one of those games that i think kind of helps you as the season goes on when you don't exactly have it to be able to kind of fight and claw your way through the game when Toppin's not playing as well as he should have only shooting seven of 16 
Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting to what what this proved for me is that even when Dayton isn't hot from the three point arc, even when they're not, even when Obi Toppin's not having the biggest game, even when the support's not there, I mean, they overcame a thirteen point deficit in this game. They were out rebounded thirty three to forty six. Uh, they still and yeah, they didn't really have the support. They from had a lot two of guys. starters foul out, yeah, know, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, Crutcher uh, had twenty one points in the game winner. Top Toppin had uh, twenty points, ten boards. Um, you know, it still proves to you that even when the Dayton Flyers aren't hot, they're still finding ways to win. Uh, they today got moved, and I, Flyers fans are loving this. They got moved to number seven in the AP poll, right above number eight Duke. Uh, and Joe Lenardi uh, has Dayton as his last two seed, eight seed overall for Dayton. So if they can get, like, we talked about this last week, the A-10, how much can you really get out of it to build your resume? Games like that build, I think, still build your resume because they, they show that this team can handle the adversity. They can stick it out to the end and find a way to win. Well, and I think the one thing that will really help is St. Louis isn't a slouch, you know. They're no, kind of a they're kind of all. a bubble team. I, I mean, I've seen them in kind of the last four in. You know, I think Jerry Palm with CBS in his bracketology has the Billikins as one of the you know guys playing in Dayton in the in yeah. the first four. But I think it really shows the committee that you know one playing on the road. I mean, I don't know how much of a hostile environment St. Louis is. I, I don't watch too much Billikins right. basketball, but you know they've been a team that's been good in you know in recent years. So. Still a tough road game against a good team. You're not playing your best basketball, and you're still able to, you know, claw together and get a win, which is something that top seeds and championship teams do, and something that honestly a lot of teams in college this year haven't been able to do. You know, you look at Duke losing at like Clemson, um, Auburn got rolled by right. Florida. You know, just some of these like kind of okay teams and. When you get down by a little bit, a lot of these other teams, you know, just either aren't able to come back or just roll over and get crushed. So I think really, you know, Dayton deserves to be number seven. Like I thought about it and I was kind of shocked. I was like, wow, they're up to number seven. But you look at their resume and what they've been able to do. And really they're only, you know, they have a couple close losses, but they've been one of the more complete teams in college basketball all year. When you look at, when you look at the strength of a complete, well-rounded team and a consistent team, uh, the consistency is the one thing that I think speaks volumes right now, especially when you look at the landscape of college basketball this year, nobody is safe. It's so hard to win on the road this year. Dayton's a team that's doing it. And to say they're not a top 10 team, I think is ridiculous. Dayton is a top 10 team. The Flyers are for real, Greg, for real. They are certainly for real, and that's one thing that we know. But uh, really one question that we don't know is up in Columbus, are the Buckeyes for real? And, and what team is the is the real Buckeyes? Uh, you know, one win in their last six games, uh, win against Nebraska at home, which was sorely needed, but that was followed up with a – 24-point drubbing in Happy Valley against Penn State on Saturday. Uh, you know, in this six-game streak, they're 0-3 on the road, 0-1 at a neutral site, and only 1-1 one one at home. They fall to 2-10. and They're 2-5 and five in the Big Ten. Um, you know, play at home versus Minnesota and at Northwestern on Sunday, so maybe some games to get back in the, in the winning column, but... 
they're just going to have to play better. You know, they were a team that started off 11-1, and one and they've just kind of fallen off since then. They were a team that was, you know, number two in week 11 and has fallen out of the polls right now. Right. I mean, and, and that'll happen within a month. December 23rd, the Ohio State Buckeyes were the number two team in the country. A month later, not even a month later, they're unranked in the AP poll. Uh, they're second to last in the Big Ten. Two and five. They're four games back. Uh, and yeah, uh, Penn State. You Penn State. That game was rough to watch. Sometimes uh, shot selection. The turnover. The turnovers weren't as bad as they have been in recent weeks, but they still shot forty-two percent from the field. So the one thing that uh, I will against a very hot shooting Penn State team. Yeah, and and you do see that, and you know sometimes you do run into those teams. But I think the one worry that you got to have if you're an Ohio State fan is obviously losing five of six isn't good at all, but. They started eleven and one this year. Last year, Ohio State started twelve and one. If most people may not remember that, they ended up losing five straight right after that, and then went into the tournament at nineteen and fourteen. So they finished the year seven and thirteen, ended as a double digit seed in the tournament, and you know, played okay, but you know, didn't have the opportunity that they could have had if they if they would have kept up the streak. So certainly something that's uh, kind of worrisome. Yeah, it's it's very worrisome, and it's especially when you take a look at the landscape. And I know you got some trivia for me on the Big Ten basketball landscape, but I mean you've got other ranked teams right now. I mean the Big the Big Ten is getting crowded. You've got uh, number eleven Michigan State, number seventeen Maryland, number nineteen Iowa, number twenty one Illinois, and now lo and behold, they did something. Number twenty four Rutgers. Yeah. So you have all these ranked teams in there. It's impossible to win on the road in that conference. So I. I think you're seeing a young team that is really in a rut right now at a really bad time, at a really bad time for that conference, for someone like Ohio State to go in a rut. Just a quick little uh, Rutgers aside, a little trivia for you on Rutgers. Is that a thing? Are you allowed to do that, a Rutgers aside? Dude, when they're number 24 and they're ranked for the first time since, I believe, the 70s, I guess we better... You can have an aside. Yeah, I bet we better savor the moment. They are three games uh, above 500 in the conference. Okay. Do you know when the last, season-wise, when the last time Rutgers basketball was three games above 500 in their conference? Um... I'm going to say it's been at least 15 years. 1998-1999 season. Wow. So there you go. It's been some time. Congratulations to Rutgers. But one of the things that's been helping Rutgers and uh, honestly has been hurting Ohio State quite a bit is just how dominant home teams have been in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, it's I don't insane. Know, I don't know if you have this stat, but uh, Big Ten teams – um, in interleague home games are 42 and seven, which is about an 86% clip. Uh, if so far, uh, if you don't, if you take out the fact that Northwestern and Nebraska, kind of the two bottom feeders in the Big Ten, have both lost two games at home. There are only three home losses aside of that. So that's Ohio State lost uh, one, Penn State lost one, and Wisconsin lost one. My trivia question for you, Josh. Right on. Who is the only Big Ten team right now with multiple road wins in conference play? The only current Big Ten team with multiple road wins in conference play? There's only one? Only one There's team. There's only has one team. Two road wins in conference play so far. Oh, man. Uh, my gut's telling me it's one of two teams. 
Okay. Uh, and I'm going to go with history here and say Sparty. Incorrect. Mm. My second guess was Penn State. And if you tell me it was Rutgers, I'll be upset. Also incorrect. No. The uh, actual I'm, correct team I'm is I'm assuming the it's a ranked team. Wisconsin Badgers. Oh, wow. The Badgers. Who uh, got wins at Ohio State and at Penn State. So they actually got two of the... Two of the big road wins, if you considered, you know, Northwestern oh, yeah, and Nebraska definitely. kind of being the, the walkovers. So, well, very yeah, interesting. I mean, that just goes to show you. I mean, the Big Ten. That's that's what not. I'm not saying. I'm not trying to make an excuse for Ohio State at all. Zach has the flu. He's at home. Yeah, we can yeah. make excuses next week. I'm not making excuses for Ohio State. All I'm saying is that all of this is happening at the worst time and worst place. The Big Ten is extremely difficult right now. Yeah. And when you have these ruts that young guys go into, that especially after that hot run, that's tough to get out of. Yeah, so. and they kind of almost look like a different team. Um, also, just as one more stat for you that I picked up, uh, shout out to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. Get a bunch of stats by just listening into that. But uh, I believe the last or the – in recent history, in the last 20 years, the best winning percentage by home teams, like in a conference season, was the 2012 Mountain West. And they won about 70, I think it was 77% of home teams won. Right now, the Big Ten is 9% ahead of that. And that's including, you know, some of the worst teams that have lost a couple times. Right. So right now, going on the road in, uh, in the Big Ten is a death sentence. I mean, even look, Rutgers is getting wins at home. You know, Purdue looks super flat on the road, but they're killing it at home. Indiana's been good at home, obviously going to, you know, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Minnesota, all that's very difficult. So, you know, with, with a chance this week, you know, their only road game is at Northwestern, who has been Man. a pretty terrible team this year. And then home versus Minnesota team, they did lose to on the road, but Obviously, home cooking will help. Maybe this will help them kind of get the wheels going. And you would think maybe a you know Nebraska last week would have done that, but you know uh, a home game and then maybe an easy road game. Hopefully, a two and zero week will get them started in the yeah. right direction. I think they can get back on track. It's certainly not time to like say they're not making the tournament and hit the panic button. But you know who it is time to say they're not making the tournament, and you should probably hit the panic button. Is that the team in uh, Norwood, Josh? No, I'm talking about Norwood State University, Greg. Norwood. Or, as the common folk call it, Xavier. Oh, I was going to say Norwood Jesuit, but uh, <laughs> Xavier has lost uh, four of their last five games. They start off Big East play one and four, lost their only game uh, this week, during the middle of this week, by 20 points versus Marquette. Uh, Marcus Howard for Marquette. Uh, the guy who just scores in bundles has a ton of forty-point games to his to his name. Had thirty-five points on twelve of twenty-seven shooting, uh, three straight losses, and really, you know, as we mentioned, the schedule kind of easing up for a team like Ohio State. This schedule for Xavier is just going to get more and more difficult as things go on. You know, they have a game on Wednesday at home versus Georgetown. But after that, they go to Creighton, who's a top, you know, who's been around the top 25 team and some difficult games coming up after that. So, you know, if they lose this game, it could spiral into an even worse losing streak. They, you know, their home versus Marquette, who just beat them on the road. They have to go to Seton Hall and then to DePaul, who just uh, got a big win over uh, top five Butler teams. So, 
Yeah, I'll, I'll talk more about DePaul later and their their reaction to that win. But, yeah, I mean, the Big East, we just got talking about how tough the Big Ten is. The Big East is still tough. Yeah, the Big East might be, you know, it is one of, with the ACC being down a little bit, you know, the Big Ten and the Big East are probably the two best conferences in basketball right now. So It's it's a little different with Xavier because there's uh, there's much, it's a much more defensive problem with Xavier than I think it is on offense. I mean, you still have your senior guard in uh, Gooden who is only shooting 7.6 points per game this year. Gooden, Gooden has not, Gooden was one of those guys that, you know, two years ago looked like he was going to be the leader of this team but he's just been shooting the ball not great his defense has kind of suffered and it's been one of those things that you said you know under uh travis Steele, they're a defensive team and they've given up just too many points you know 85 points you can't right you, you know as someone that has come from watching mccrennan basketball when you give up more than 70 points it's usually a death sentence for your team right and Zay's, and what's the crazy stat is is it's not a full point i think it's 0.97 or 0.98 but i mean that's damn near close to allowing one point per possession against you and that's bad that's yeah, very that's bad. that's not good especially when you have a, a defensive coach and um so, so between that and Gooden, who went 0 for 7 versus Creighton, got benched for the rest of the second half, basically, because I, I think Travis Steele had finally seen enough. Yeah. Uh, well, the problem is, you know, you have, um, you obviously have Najee Marshall, who's been very, very good for them. I mean, he's one of those guys I just kind of saw tall and lanky, but he's been shooting well. He's a much better player. You know, you see uh, Paul Scruggs, who's been pretty good, but... You know, they have some of uh, their transfers that they've kind of relied on from some lower level schools that just haven't really shown up, you know, so they haven't really gotten a whole lot of bench production. They haven't been great defensively, and now they're looking to be on a slide, and this could be the first time since 1985 that uh, no schools from Cincinnati, whether it be Cincy or Xavier, make it into the NCAA tournament. Um, I guess the last question before we go to the other side of Cincinnati uh, listen to the radio and it was one of those ideas kind of floated around. Obviously, last year was kind of a transitional year for Xavier. Uh, did miss the tournament, although came on late, you know, to kind of make yeah. a push for the NIT. Uh, this year expected to be better and have kind of struggled recently. If they miss the tournament against, again uh, this year, does the seat start to get hot for Travis Steele in year three? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think anything happens after this offseason. No, it's too um, early. Yeah, way too early. Um and that's not that Xavier's not known uh, to really do that either. But I do think, especially especially if you see Cincinnati get better, like, like people say that's not true, but that's true. When your rivalry program is headed in the one direction and you start to head in the other direction, unless you're Michigan, you do something about it. Well, yeah, and then the other thing is, you know, you see UC's kind of almost like a year behind on the schedule, maybe even two because they kind of have this half year with with right. Cumberland, as we'll mention, but. You know, if they start to turn things around under a new coach and your new coach hasn't really been able to do that, it really kind of it, right. it is a tough look. So uh, we'll it's, be interested. It's definitely hard from a fan base to see it. And I've been on the other side of it with the Cincinnati Xavier side of things. You know, when you are ebbing and flowing opposite your rival, that's not fun for the fan base at all. And that definitely definitely heats up the seat i think oh yeah you know you think about the the mid-2000s when mick was kind of trying to re yeah. you know redo that that program from from the ground floor it was certainly some some difficult years well and it all worked out in the end so you never know yeah well Xavier. uh shifting to clifton as we mentioned earlier um cincinnati finished up a one in one week uh 
we'll just get this out of the way. Yesterday had a huge win, um, you know, 25-point win over ECU. Probably shouldn't have even been that close, but the second half was pretty much even just because they were up by so much, you know, trying to get some guys to play. Uh, the big game was, uh, you know, kind of a chance for a statement for UC. Uh, they played Memphis on Thursday and fell 60-49. to um, It was kind of a weird game of runs. They were down uh, 31-20 at halftime, and then just a minute in, were down 35-20. to So, you know, 19 minutes left, down 15. They went on an 18-2 run to go up 38-37 with... 12 and a half minutes to go. Then Memphis goes on a 10-0 run to go up 48-37. Um, UC cuts it to four with just uh, with just about four and a half minutes left, 50-46. to 46. Then one of the big plays of the game, and there were several of these, uh, Jaron Cumberland, you know, former uh, conference player of the year, usually not to say that you deserve calls who based on who you are, but he's a bigger guy. He doesn't always get the calls, but you'd expect a conference player right. of the year to get some of those calls. Gets just thrashed in the middle of uh, the lane. There's a no call. Brandon, who says he does not cuss at officials, and a lot of people have corroborated that, kind of gets in the official's face, ends up getting teed up, and Memphis finishes the game on a 10-3 to round to win 60-49. to Um a lot of things to unpack with this game. Uh, most notably, a lot of the officiating issues. Jam was only 6 of 14 oh, from the floor. and terrible. seemed like he got hacked about three or four times. Uh, you know, From what I saw, both on the UC and the Memphis side, they were pretty disappointing with these officials. And I think the one thing that really gets you is it's not like the old Big East where they're not going to call anything. It's right. night to night. It's so inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get. And that's kind of the worst thing you can have. Um yeah, it's 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 not it's not like it's not like early two thousands Big East where you know you're gonna get into some rough games and you're gonna be able to play pretty physically. N- now it's like even from half to half, it's like what do you expect from these guys? Yeah. And I think the American Athletic Conference really needs to take a look at officiating in general because we saw this in football, um, and it seems to get more and more inconsistent each year on both. On all sports officiating levels. Yeah, I know um, it was something like, I know at least through the first nine or ten games of the season in football, uh, the AAC had something like six of the top 15 most penalized games, which you can correlate to something. Right. So. And and yeah, and that's that's not, I'm not, I'm not saying that like something drastic needs to be done by the conference, but the conference at least needs to admit that they have a problem on their hands and look into it. I mean, you can't, you can't look at stats like that in nights like this Cincinnati Memphis game where a guy drives in and literally gets hacked by two guys on the way up to the basket. You can't, you cannot look at that and continue to say everything's fine. Our well, officials are great. Power six. You're not going to be power six. If you have this kind of officiating joke, unless we big 12 it, but it's just not. Oh, it's just not how it works. You're not going to make this name for yourself and build your conference when you have these clowns running the show every night. Yeah, and I mean, you even look at it from a basketball standpoint. You know, you get games like this where there's smashing and bashing, and there's nothing, and then you get other games like they've had earlier this year. I think it was the Tulsa game where you know both teams are in the bonus with 14 yeah. minutes left yeah. because they're calling. You know, you look at a guy the wrong way and you get a foul, and it's just you know, it's one of those things that I guess is easy to complain about when you know it's going against your team but really it's just one of those big uh 
overall officiating issues. But, of course, that wasn't the only thing that plagued UC. Um, shot 18 of 60 from uh, in field goals. Uh, like I said, Jaron was 6 of 14. Keith Williams was 4 of 14. Uh, Trayvon Scott started off the game 0 of 8 yeah. and ended up uh, 2 of 13. Uh, Chris Vogt, who had only missed, I think, two shots every game so far, missed five shots. And Memphis had eight blocks on UC. Anytime Scott or Williams or Vogt was going up in the lane, the shot was getting altered or, or blocked by Memphis. So that's certainly something that's going to be possibly an issue well and my biggest my biggest issue from that game was the way it started you go down to the fedex forum and you your first four possessions are turnovers bad turnovers yeah how do you how do you go on the road i know all this this whole entire episode we've talked about how tough it is on the road in college basketball so how are you not mentally prepared and you end up giving four turnovers on your first four drives that blew my mind that that happened and yeah. I know the Bearcats have been prone to turnovers lately, but to start off your first four drives on four turnovers at the FedEx Forum, it's ridiculous. It blows yeah. my mind that And that the, that's one of the things that you can see. I mean, you know, UC has been a team that's been able to score, uh, you know, at home, have been able to, you know, usually take care of business aside of that weird Colgate game. But on the road, aside of the UCF game, they've just looked lost for large stretches of time. And you can even see it here, you know. You see, there were chunks here. I mean, heck, there was an 18 to two run. There were chunks here where UC looked to be the better team, but they just had so many just spots of what the heck is going on. You know, for a while uh, in the first half, probably for like almost four minutes, it was nine to five. And Memphis yeah. was turning the, Memphis started turning over the ball in every possession or taking these wild shots. And UC just blocked at the rim. Taking a bad shot. Yeah, for, bad pass, for a minute there in the first like half, that. I was like, we might as well just play ourselves a game to 21 and call it at halftime because yeah. this is ridiculous. Um, and I guess the one thing that I'm looking for from the Bearcats is consistently uh, is consistency because, yeah, uh, I mean, when you look at Trey Scott right now, he had four points in the Memphis game. He had 16 uh, in the ECU game. Yeah, he's I realize been the guy those are can... different teams, but that's kind of been the story with him. It's like we've got to get these guys. Even Cumberland still was only 13 points in the ECU game, 19 points in the Memphis game. Like we've got, we've got to find some consistency shooting wise with these guys. Well, I think the one thing with Scott is he's just been so he's been good at home, but he's just been so inconsistent on the road. I don't know if it's a like how he prepares for the game or what, but. That's something that's kind of happened. And then also, you know, their three-point shooting, you know, against Tulsa in the second half, against ECU early. I know they didn't finish off too great, but that was a lot of, you know, reserves and guys just kind of coasting when you're up, you know, 30 points. But against Memphis and, you know, on the road at times, they've just been horrendous from three. So would love to see some more consistency. Uh, Well, and then, yeah, for the three-pointers, like – the same three guys were the only ones to make threes. Uh, Zach Har- Zach Harvey hit a three. Uh, the young kid hit a three in the, EC- in the ECU game. Uh, but otherwise, it's the Cumberland brothers and Micah Adams-Woods, who's – Adams-Woods had a hot hand there for a little bit this past fall, but one for five this week from three. Yeah, um, I just don't feel like he's shooting the ball enough. He only no. has – he only had like four shots in the last game. You know, he's not shooting the ball a whole lot, so – would like to see some more confidence out of him and you know honestly out of all the freshmen to kind of get things rolling yeah. uh rolling into next week only one game this week uh just a wednesday game at temple uh would love to see a win there temple's been 
like a lot of teams, good at home, yeah. but horrible on the road, and then don't play again till uh, the 28th at home versus SMU. So just hopefully can get through, get their second road win of the season, and you know end this week 1-0 and and maybe try to claw their way back into a bubble conversation. But as of you we'll know, right now, nowhere near the bubble, hoping to make the NIT. Um, shifting gears from one round ball to the other round ball, just a couple quick soccer notes. Uh, the Columbus Crew signed uh, Sebastian Burhalter to a homegrown deal. You may recognize the last name Burhalter because he is the son of former Crew and USMNT coach Greg Greg Berhalter. I hate when people spell Greg with two G's at the end. Two G's at the end. Three G's total. Uh, But Sebastian Berhalter, obviously with his dad, you know, uh, being with the crew, he was he was part of their, um, you know, youth track. So ended up getting signed as a homegrown player. So that's something pretty cool to see. Uh, Also, just another fun little bit of news. we're going to probably break down some MLS jerseys as they're coming out soon in the next couple yeah. of weeks. But uh, Yeah, we had some new ones come out this week, and we'll do a, a who wore it worst next week. Uh, but, yeah, Burhalter, that's a cool signing because, you know, homegrown Columbus guy. Uh, he led the Crew Academy to third place in the U.S. U19 tourney a couple of years ago. So it'd be cool. See what the crew can't do with that. Yeah, and then just one more note on jerseys as I brought that up. Uh, oh, sorry. So the crew uh, was an Acura-sponsored team. For people that don't watch soccer, they have giant sponsors in the middle of their jerseys and then just the little crests. So they had Acura in the middle. Well, the Acura deal is, uh, I believe, ending in the middle of this week. So right before oh, no. the new jerseys come out, um, they are fi- looking for a new sponsor. Uh, just as a, a side note, uh, February 5th, they're doing a big reveal of jerseys. Uh, the way MLS normally does it, a lot of soccer teams, is they like to update their jerseys regularly. So for MLS, they'll usually do one year, everyone will update their away jerseys. The next year, they'll update their home jerseys, and they'll kind of go back and forth, maybe occasionally throwing an alternate or something like that. Um, on the other side, Zach, or gosh, Zach. Hey, dude, have you ever done a podcast with me I've before? Never, I'm the other guy here. Never done a podcast. Normally I start with Zach, but we'll throw it over to you. Uh, I'm sure you have a little bit more news than I do on this, Josh, but uh, I know FC Cincinnati was interested in um, PSV Eindhoven player Gaston Pereiro, and they gave him till noon Eastern today, actually extended it 24 hours till noon Eastern today, to get him a chance to sign a designated player deal. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate what happened with that. I don't I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's dead in the water yet, um, because there's there's not a lot of official things about this. I will say I love how much the fan base kind of like hoped this into existence, um, and I love the ambition from the FC Cincinnati front office. I mean, this would have been a top ten uh, all time deal in the league. Uh, to get a uh, center attacking midfielder of Gaston's caliber. Um, he is 24 years old, so it, like has his, his agent's been saying he's still too young to come to MLS. We want him to stay in Europe. My thing is if the guy wants playing time to stay with the Uruguay national team, I think he'd get the best playing time and the best, uh, the best portfolio, if you will, uh, from playing in the MLS for a year and then head back to Europe. Yeah, and I but think I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, he's still kind of young to where he can kind of come back. I mean, normally, as you see, unless they're kind of, you know, U.S. or, or I guess North or South American players, normally guys from Europe either come over early kind of on loan from, from their English teams 
or they come over late, like a lot of the designated players, like you see like a David Beckham or a Kaká or right. a Bastian Schweinsteiger and stuff like that. But certainly cool to kind of swing for the fences. Uh, Pereira was playing in uh, the Dutch league for PSV Eindhoven, as we mentioned. Uh, you know, maybe not one of the top leagues, but uh, certainly, uh, you know, a skilled league. Um, Ajax was one of those teams that, you know, almost won the, the European championship as far as clubs go. So certainly not a bad league. But, you know, if you're struggling for playing time and, you know, FC Cincinnati certainly would give you a place to kind of show right. off your skills. And, you know, even if it was, I mean, they, they want an actual league. Even if it was just for a couple of years and they sell him back, it's certainly, one, a great way to get his name out there, especially in, you know, a country of, 300 plus million people and uh would have been a great way for him to maybe you know figure some things out and, and come back to europe you know uh better than he is right now with so limited playing time we'll, so. we'll see i'm not saying it's dead in the water yet and if not um we did uh we did free up two international spots um uh Cruz and Deplan, uh got their green cards uh so that frees up two international spots and then we did wave uh my fan, personal fan favorite emmanuel ledesma so long and then we waved uh the infamous Adi. fernando adi so Adi. that plays up a designated player position oh i thought that was your favorite guy fernando adi uh yeah I, I can't favor a guy that had the same number of goals as he did duis but that's a story for another time i wish him the best moving forward that is uh all our ohio ohio news i do believe um yes so. but uh we're staying in ohio here with a couple of ohio segments I like these segments this week. These are good segments. I think we've got some good ones. Um, First off, we have in Southwest Ohio. Both of these are on the, uh, not football, but football Football. sides of things. Uh, We're going to start off in Cincinnati with the Bengals. Um, Word comes out that the Bengals do not intend to trade their number one pick. Number one pick most likely being the quarterback out of LSU and Buffalo Wild Wings in Mason Goware. Yeah. One Joseph Burrow. Weird appearance in uh, in Mason, Ohio, up the street from where we are recording uh, at our local B-dubs. Um, I was thinking about going, but everyone says I look like him, and I didn't want to cause a scene or make a confusion. So, Or, you know, like steal away this girl or something with right, those beautiful right. looks. You know, nothing like that. Um, but... Quick little segment on this. Bengals not intent on trading the number one pick, but Josh, as the Bengal fan around here, what would it take for you to even start to consider trading the number one pick? Yeah, uh, I, I, I'm glad that everyone's kind of coming to terms with, okay, the Bengals are going to draft Joe Burrow with the number one pick, but I still see some people out there that are like, oh, well, maybe the Bengals will trade the pick, or maybe they'll take Chase Young or something. But I... Why would you pass on a franchise quarterback of this caliber? So what would it take? Um, free B-dubs for life, I think, <laughs> since he was since he was just there. Um, yeah, I think free B-dubs for life, and I'd have to get uh, I'd have to get an impact. I'd have to get two impact players. Two impact, two impact players. players. Okay. Um, because yeah, I mean you're 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 passing up the opportunity for. I'm not saying it's going to make an immediate impact, but you're passing on a guy who's a true student of the game. And you know I'm a huge Andy Dalton fan. This guy's way better than Andy Dalton. Well, 
So I, why you would pass Plan on this and not it. build on this, I don't know. Um, it would take it would take a lifetime supply, not a lifetime supply. Let's not get carried away. Free B dubs for life, two impact players, and I think a second round for next year. Whoa. Okay. So. Uh, and that's me being generous. That's you being. That's me being generous. Very generous. And to go back to the Chase Young point, you know, I heard some people talking and. The fact that Chase Young didn't quite show as much, especially after the uh, suspension, and wasn't that you know super dominant player that was getting you know three sacks a game or something in some of the big moments, that would have been what he would have needed to do to even get in the question of it to be such a dominant defensive player like a Jadavian Clowney, a Julius Peppers, uh, you know coming out of college, Julius Peppers, right. obviously you know the best career so far, but you know Miles Garrett where it was just like. You have to take – if you right. take someone else, like, that's stupid. Burrow played so well. Obviously, you know, there are a few concerns as there are with everybody. I think the most notable one that I can see is just the fact that, um, you know, repeatability. He was kind of a one-year out-of-the-box, right. you know. He was only like a 56% completion percentage guy. Everyone loves to compare. Everyone in Cincinnati loves to compare it to Akili Smith and this guy who had one good year. I don't think it's exactly like that. Like no. Akili Smith like didn't have the opportunities. Like it just happened to be that he unfortunately only had one year. Joe Burrow has had the options and has been in the Ohio State quarterback room and was a great quarterback. Not like he was terrible last year. Yeah, but and I think also some of that was the receivers getting better this year yeah. and whatnot. A lot of drops. So I think if you you put him you put him with Zach Taylor, you put him with hopefully AJ Green and a little bit of a I'm not going to call it a solid line, but a better offensive line, a healthy offensive line. Then yeah, I think he can flourish in the NFL. It's not like the guy's not NFL ready. He's NFL ready for sure. Yeah, I, so I was thinking about this, and at first I, I jotted down, and I kind of thought about it with what you have. I had uh, three first-rounders or two first-rounders and a player. But what I might honestly have is, you know, if, if especially one or two of those might not be high depending on how well he plays. I might even say three first-round players and a, sol- you know, at least solid player, it, either on probably the offensive line. Right you know right now and you know probably one of those first round picks would have to be a top 10 picks you could get one of the top guys in the draft right you know really anything else yeah. if you could you, if you, could, you can't not get anything in yeah. the top 10 if you could i mean my only my only thought is you look at people that actually would have the capital to do something like this maybe the miami dolphins but they don't have that offensive lineman anymore if they had like tunsil still and you said tunsil they're two first this year and you know the Steelers first, their first, and yeah. then so that would be four. Yeah, like the Dolphins have the draft 18, picks to divvy up, then, but they don't have the actual like immediate capital to give it yeah. to the team. At I think all. I think if you if you had like the Steeler pick, the uh, their pick, and their pick next year, and then if they would have obviously they wouldn't have had the Steeler pick if they had him, but either Fitzpatrick because that secondary still needs some work, especially in the safety position. Or Tunsil, because the offensive line is certainly neat. Yeah. If they could have gotten three first-round picks and one of those guys, then I think you really start to question. Because at that point, even if they're hell-bent on Burrow with Miami, you still have you know, the capital to maybe package together two of those picks to jump to two or three if you really need to for you know Tua or Herbert or whoever right. you want. And you get that impact player. But really, aside of that, 
I wouldn't see anything else that you would want to trade yeah, for. I, I think it also, also free Skyline for life. But. Ooh, free Skyline would like for life would be a good one too. Even though Joe Burrow doesn't like Skyline, yeah, I, I know I'll he's take, dropping down my draft boards. I would take draft Joe Burrow's portion of lifetime Sky, the Skyline that he would eat if he was a normal person. I, I'd take that for free, oh, and yeah. I'd want a statue like a big chair made of thirty racks on one of the end zone roofs at Paul Brown Stadium. Sure, not like a good stadium. That you'd want to see like fun teams. Well, yeah. Like first but energy. We, we don't have. Factory we don't sadness. have. We don't have any of those in Ohio. But I do believe we have to uh, journey up that way for our next segment. Do we? Where are we going? Uh, I, I can't remember where we're going. We're going to some some town north of here. Fun times in Cleveland today. Cleveland. Come on down to Cleveland town, everyone. We're back in Cleveland. Look at both Hastily. Of our buildings. Buy some food that's prepared near the street. Who knows you might even see this guy Whoa, it's me You should come on down to West 6th Street It's the perfect place if you're a douchebag Spend a lot of time on West 6th Street, don't you? Wait for buses Who the fuck still uses a payphone? Here's the place where there used to be industry This train is carrying jobs out of Cleveland Cleveland leads the nation in drifters Here's a statue of Moses Cleveland He's the guy who invented Cleveland Yeah! We're not Detroit. Yeah, we had we had to we had to play that because uh, we are discussing uh, Cleveland tourism, but I guess we're Cleveland exports in tourism. Yeah, this is uh, this is Cle- This is instead of tourists to Cleveland, this is uh, tourists Clevelanders Cleveland. being tourists with uh, Browns. Where are they this week? A uh, couple of few Browns players making some news. Where are they? What are they doing? Not good things. <laughs> not per the great usual. things. Um, Starting off Monday night with, uh, actually, Jarvis Landry was there that too, so we'll mention that. Oh, yeah. But most notably, Odell Beckham Jr. at the national championship, uh, having the time of his life. A few drinks, uh, yelling at a megaphone for the band, um, allegedly handing out cash to LSU players after the game, which may or may not be real cash and uh, may or may not be under... Um, and see a, a double A sanctions. Definitely then, under uh, investigation. Or at least under investigation. But to cap off the night, uh, with a Superdome security officer in New Orleans uh, having some words with some guys smoking some cigars in the locker room, Odell decides, you know, it would be a very good idea if I play a little game of slap ass with this security guard. Always a good idea. The second time we've mentioned a Cleveland player playing slap ass with someone who obviously. Isn't about it. Hey, uh, OBJ slaps his security guard. Um, ends up a few days later, an arrest warrant comes out for him. Uh, the security guard seemed to pick that up after the video kind of went viral. Um, ended up dropping the charges. Uh, so n- nothing on OBJ except for a pretty tough PR mark for just all the shenanigans he got into. Um, you know, nothing... I guess nothing ridiculous. Well, I wouldn't say ridiculous. Nothing like all oh, bad guys suspend him, but just a lot of stuff that you're like, "Come on, Odell." Yeah. Come on. Yeah, that's that's where I'm. Don't at hand it. out all the money to college players. Everyone's everyone's Don't like, "Oh, he didn't he didn't do anything wrong." It's just like, no, he didn't do anything like super wrong, and no, we shouldn't. Some some pundits shouldn't be freaking out as much as they are. But it's like, come on, man. Like you know, like. Let's not play dumb here. You know that the NCAA and the money thing isn't going to go over well. You know you probably shouldn't 
touch a security guard or cop's butt in any scenario. Like, you know these things, man. Like, and, and for a guy who all, all season long got spoken to about his appearance and his distractions, like, I'm not saying he shouldn't have been down there with his alma mater. I'm not saying that... He shouldn't he, have been having a good time. If he was out drinking right. and partying and screaming, it's just he has to make news kind of like this. And I think... I heard some of what you, you heard about, you know, oh, you know, whatever, he didn't do anything wrong. But I think the weird thing about it is people are on so poorly different. It's either he did absolutely nothing wrong or this is the worst thing ever and he should be arrested and suspended and the Browns should trade him. And it's just like, you know what, it's something dumb. It's a distraction. At least it's the offseason for the Browns because the Browns never play in January unless there's like that week 17 game that just kind of spills over. Yeah, but just something that you hopefully don't want to see, you know, with a new head coach in there, still looking at a GM, uh, obviously with new guys that aren't connected with you because they didn't trade for you or anything. Maybe a little bit better of a first impression is what you should go for. But that, that's, uh, that's what I'm saying. It's just like why – if you were going to be there, why couldn't you have been there in a more appropriate – like you said, like uh, Jarvis Landry was there and – He'd probably partying, probably yeah, just as yeah. No, we're not crazy. talking about him. No. We're not talking about him because he didn't put himself into the spotlight so much. And I'm not saying that OBJ doesn't have that right and he shouldn't get to be there and all that. Yeah, but don't do, like, stupid, stupid things like this. You know, they say a, a picture speaks a thousand words and a video, I guess, speaks a million of them. And that's certainly what came out of this. But also another video that spoke a million words was uh, – the Conor McGregor bout was uh, this weekend. McGregor uh, a couple seconds took, long. Yeah, took care of Cowboy Cerrone in 40 seconds. But just a few minutes before the fight, there was a quick couple second clip where uh, they zoomed in on the suspended Browns defensive end Miles Garrett at the fight and did not mention the fight <laughs> other first overall pick that was sitting right next to him and went to a quarterback right after that but still missed the fact that Baker Mayfield was right next to him uh good to see those guys hanging out good to see Miles in good spirit but uh certainly not great to see Baker kind of uh overshadowed like that and that's sort of the least of his problems there were some pictures that went around that had some uh that had Brown's Twitter speculating fat Baker now I saw it and I don't think it was the best shown picture but it was definitely a poor fit. I don't know who dressed him that day, but uh, yeah, it didn't. It was not a good look for him. Yeah, so I think the bad look with the weird hat and just kind of the baggy stuff did not look great for him. Uh, just after the season, I don't think, unless Baker's just been eating Twinkies on the couch for like the last three weeks, I, I don't think that's Fat yeah. Baker, but... I know he's been like chilling in bed with that progressive commercial and having like he's getting those steps and he's got to walk all the way across the stadium to turn the lights off. But I don't know if he gets back. He's like in bed eating chocolates, watching Netflix or whatever. But it's got to be maybe that's just me. It's got to be nice for Chiefs fans to see the State Farm commercial and be like, oh, yeah, but Patrick Mahomes is still playing. Not see all the Baker, you know, right things and been like, oh, yeah, Baker Mayfield played football like two months ago. Uh, you know what Brown's player also used to play football? Who's going to get to play football again? Antonio Callaway. Callaway, Got I want you to smoke me away. Nice. I was wondering where you're going with that. I was going to do something with Callaway, but then just the weed stuff just yeah, blew up the rim. So uh, Antonio Callaway, uh, who you may remember, was uh, 
a draft prospect out of Florida who missed his senior year for a credit card fraud investigation. Um, had missed some games for the Browns earlier this season for being suspended uh, on a positive drug test. Ended up coming back and um, dropping a bunch of passes, most notably kicking a pass up in a game against the 49ers when they were in the red zone and had a chance to kind of get back into that game. Uh, soon enough, there was a report out that he possibly failed another drug test and would have been suspended for, I believe, either 10 games or a year. So uh, Browns cut him, but he found work in Tampa Bay with the Vipers. The Vi- so the trying Vipers. out. Uh, he is in the XFL. Um, I guess wish him the best of luck, but he seems like another one of those Browns receivers that just can't get out of his own way, whether it's doing dumb stuff or, you know, uh, not being able to pass drug tests or, or, or one thing or another. So uh, certainly an interesting thought, but probably not the craziest uh, former Ohio NFLer to possibly be in the XFL, Josh. Yeah, uh, yeah. Chad Ochocinco of the Bengals uh, getting a getting a kicking opportunity uh, with uh, Houston, I believe. Yeah, the um, Houston Roughnecks. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. But he's not a Cleveland guy, so he can't be a part of the hastily made Cleveland exports. Uh, so real shame. He was a wide receivers coach for like that is a, true. A that is true. Camp. Yeah, that is true. I take it camp. back. I take it back. But. Uh, yeah, Chad Ochocinco, uh, I believe 42 years, 42 mm-hmm. or 43 years young, uh, trying not to be a kicker. There was a cool video of him making a 60-yarder. It will be interesting to see if he uh, can crack the team down in, in Houston. Always interested to see Ochocinco, especially if we can get a, a tutty celebration or well, two. Uh, there was a video of uh, we were talking about who was at the fight. Ochocinco was at the fight, uh, and McGregor and him met up in uh talked on how to uh do 85 and uh how uh how they say it over there in in ireland um i, I can't gaelic remember. yeah i can't remember what it oh, is okay. it was it was not i thought it would be close to ocho cinco but it was not at all certainly not no so. no no gaelic's uh gaelic's an interesting language so but uh speaking of interesting or should i say special things from across the pond I am enjoying this extra special bitter from, it's not from across the pond, but it's from, it originated. Just down the road from me, actually, at Dogberry Brewing in Westchester, Ohio, drinking their hooked leg ESB. Be sure to check out Dogberry Brewing. Uh, just celebrated their fifth anniversary. A uh, little bit late on beer, just because I think of uh, how much they were brewing for that fifth anniversary, but. A lot of good stuff. Uh, certainly worth checking out. But I believe, Josh, that's not the only beer news we have. That's not the only beer news we had. Uh, Greg, you and I went on a uh, little adventure that, uh, what do we call it? Uh, Greg and Josh's Heavy Drinking Bonanza 2 Electric Boogaloo. Uh, and we went out to Jungle Gyms International Market. Uh, for those of you up in the northern parts of Ohio that don't know what Jungle Gyms is, uh, it is a magical place. It's been described as an amusement park of food and beverage. If um, you want to find a whole boar's head, this is where you go. If you want to find Vietnamese squid, this is where you go. If you want to find whatever beer or liquor or hot sauce, this is where you go. Uh, right above, they have a little, uh, what is it, banquet hall? Yeah. Where they had their barrel-aged beer fest. There were... Uh, I believe barrel aged beer bash, Greg. Beer bash. I'm sorry, beer bash. You can obviously tell I had a few while we were there. 
uh, you know, 30 plus breweries at 20 tables, probably, you know, over a hundred beers. Uh, you were limited to 20 if you could get to that many samples. You got your little samples of barrel aged beer, many of them coming in at 10, yeah, 11, 10. 15. There's, I know I know there was one 20 percenter there. I think we, you and I each had like a couple 18 ones. Um, yeah, I only got halfway. I only had 10 um, because yeah, they were some beers. Um, and they were they were breweries from Ohio and then outside of Ohio as well. Um, and yeah, had a lot of interesting stuff. I think the brunch stouts were two of the most unique things I had. Um, the one was definitely like drinking uh, like a French toast stick dipped in maple syrup. It was really good. Uh, Greg, what was your favorite beer? Uh, so, I actually have two favorite beers, and I think you'll probably agree with me on one of them. Uh, the first one is Une and Neve Brewery. They had a couple of the Grand Mons, which were these uh, sour beers. Yeah. And one of them was a sour beer that uh, was mixed with cucumber and lime and it was almost drinking like cucumber water with a lime sour what about you Jeff? yeah that legrand mon the 2019 7 um that was good um i also liked uh a tequila barrel aged one that's the one i was looking for from uh, the two roads brewing company uh the tequila lime um beer it was fantastic uh usually tequila ones uh are, are interesting um yeah and i was surprised one of the things that surprised me uh to go along with this is that it was a barrel a, a barrel aged uh beer bash or festival or whatever you want to call it but there were actually a lot of like light beers there like we had a few like white aged uh beers and yeah this, some sour beers yeah this two, this two kilo one was really good it had a really nice balance you could get that tequila flavor in there but it was still a very refreshing beer it wasn't that heavy yeah. Um, well, it didn't taste that heavy. Two Roads was actually from uh, from up in uh, Milford, Connecticut. But yeah, it's one of those things that was, you know, it was a lighter beer. A lot of them, you know, some of them, like I had uh, Odd Side Ales, Nightman Leaveth, made off of, you know, yeah. uh, Always Sunny Dayman Cometh. Uh-huh. A lot of those are the heavier, you know, stouts in the bourbon barrels or the rum barrels. But they also had, you know, tequila barrels, uh, wine barrels, all that different stuff. Also, uh Probably one more that I like the one of the best names the Vepiosaurus from Urban Artifact. Oh, uh, yeah. Urban Artifact, one of my favorite breweries down in Cincinnati. Uh, big sour guy, sour sour beers. Ghosts are probably my favorite, and uh, Urban Artifact does it as good as anyone. They had it was a uh, I believe it was a boysenberry beer, so it you know it had that nice red sour flavor and just was fantastic. So. Overall successful trip from what I can remember and uh, certainly something to check out. They have the Barrel Aged Beer Bash in uh, you know January of every year. They have their regular beer bash where they have you know 100 tables worth of beer in July. So if you ever get a chance to come down to uh, their Fairfield location for one of those uh, beer bashes, certainly worth a try. Good stuff. Good stuff. All righty. Well... We've covered Ohio sports, Ohio news, Ohio beer. I think we better get a little bit more of an overarching view into what happened this week and a little bit yep, of national we, news. Uh, we did delay uh, a day for our podcast release so we could let the championship games play out, and here we go. Oh, I thought we just delayed so we could make Zach sick and get him out of here oh, so he didn't well, yeah. bring the podcast. But yeah, Sorry, Zach. Either way. Hope you find your dad. <laughs> either way. Uh 
Starting off with the early game in the AFC Championship, Kansas City goes to their first Super Bowl appearance in 50 years uh, with a big win, 34-25 over the Tennessee Titans. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had a day, 23 of 35, 294 yards, three touchdowns along with eight rushes, 53 yards, and a touchdown on the ground. Uh, Kansas City was down 10-0 and then 17-7 in the first half, 17-7 after a long drive by Tennessee. Came back, got a quick touchdown, and just took control with a quick Mahomes touchdown before the end of the half to go up 21-14. to uh, Derrick Henry, only 69 yards and a touchdown, had been just killing it over 100, over 150 yards in so many games. But uh, Kansas City's offense just proved to be too much for, you know, that Tennessee defense. And, and once they got down, Ryan Tannehill couldn't exactly get them back. No, yeah, and that was, I think, everybody's fear. I mean, he had 21 passes, uh, 209 yards, two touchdowns, uh, had the pick two. Uh, and what's interesting is that the Titans in that first half, when when you were watching the game, I mean, it felt like the Titans were kind of dominating, uh, especially in the first half. I mean, they had they had double the time of possession. They were moving the ball methodically down the field. Um, but then the Chiefs, man, the Chiefs just have way too many explosive weapons on the field. And and I think it showed on that uh, 20-yard scramble that Patrick Mahomes had. I mean, you saw multiple times where you had Sammy Watkins who finally caught a touchdown uh you had multiple like who do you like who you put your double coverage on there do you put it on Watkins do you put it on Hill do you put it on Kelsey and then what do you do you put a spy on Mahomes like like what do you do as a defense there and I think that was the key in this game is the Chiefs defense knew what to do held Derrick Henry to only 69 yards and a touchdown off of 19 carries um and the Titans did not know what to do with the Chiefs defensively and I think you know just kind of going to your earlier point you know, Tennessee was in control at the beginning. I think Kansas City also, you know, had another slow start with some uh, with some drops and then also couldn't get out of their way early. You know, they must have had four or five offsides, you know, and third and four, third and three, just jumping offsides again and again, you know. And after what almost looked to be kind of a back-breaking drive to go up 17-7, to 7, you know, a nine-minute, you know, 15-play drive, and then Kansas City comes right back and scores, you know, in two minutes. That's right. one of those things as a team you're like, Man, we worked so hard. We grinded out that possession. And then, what do you know? Those seven points, you know, those extra seven points we put up are gone like that. So, um, yeah, it was it was tough, especially to see them shut down. I mean, you had you had to worry if Derrick Henry was going to be able to keep it up yeah. after going three straight weeks with over 180 yards rushing. This week they held him to 69 yards rushing, and Patrick Mahomes alone nearly matches that with his rushing of 53 yards and one touchdown off of eight carries yeah so uh you know much deserved for kansas city obviously first uh you know super bowl appearance in 50 years looked to be you know one of the best teams in the afc except for that kind of lull when patrick mahomes was hurt but uh certainly deserved this and uh you know we're the best team but uh i think you know we'll discuss this in a little bit but kansas city is going to have to wake up earlier in this game because you know the team that they're playing you know if if you let them take control early then it can be over early just like it was in the NFC Championship, San Francisco beats Green Bay 37-20 to to go to the Super Bowl, their first Super Bowl appearance since 2013. Uh, this was all 49ers, led 27 to nothing at halftime. Uh, Green Bay showed a little bit of life late to take it down to 14 points, 34-20, but 
San Francisco had a couple long drives to just kind of seal it. Um, the real real star of this game had to be San Francisco running back Raheem Mostert, who uh, was a guy who was, you know, undrafted, not, you know, didn't get invited to the Combine in 2015. It's on his seventh team, but had a game today with 29 rushes, 220 yards, four yeah. touchdowns. Insane. You know, Jimmy G only threw the ball eight times. I don't even think he threw any passes in the second half, uh, you know, to show how little he passed Debo Samuel was the leading receiver with two catches, 46 yards, also had two rushes for 43 yards. So honestly, everything on the ground, you know, George Kittle doing a great job of zone blocking, and they just dominated that Packer defense. On the other side, Rodgers, you know, pretty good, 31 of 39, 326 yards, two touchdowns, but also the two interceptions and the fumble lost and just – you know, the yeah. Packers, it seemed like when they got on the roll, there was, you know, there was a fumble in 49er territory that <laughs> Rodgers kind of backed away from, that late pick in the second, or at the end of the first half to allow San Francisco to go up 27 to nothing, you know. Yeah. Jones didn't rush too well. Adams had a decent game, but just not enough. And you can see in the first half, uh, in the first half, Green Bay had four punts and two turnovers. San Francisco had one punt, three touchdowns, and two field goals. So just the first half to kind of put it, put them away. And Right. And I'd, I'll, I'll read a noted Packers fan and uh, our usual co-host who is sick. Uh, I'll read his thoughts. Boo. I feel that the Packers are still another piece or two away on the offense and defensive side to reach the level of the San Francisco 49ers. That game was frustrating and deflating as they had their opportunities. Just too many self-inflicted wounds, like you were saying with the penalties, Greg. I feel the defense players were in position to make plays, but they missed tackles and couldn't get off their blocks. And then Zach makes a great point. Offensively, if you have three turnovers and start out sloppy against a team like San Francisco, you're going to lose. And that's what happened for a second time this season. So, yeah, I, and that's, I think, what you were saying about the Chiefs. Like, you can't get us off to a slow start against San Francisco. If you get in a hole against that team, they've shown they can eat up clock, they can stay on the field, that they defense can score, can suffocate and you. that defense can, yeah, can just ring you out. And so they, the Chiefs can't do what they did the past two weeks. And that's one of the things that they were saying during, you know, this game the whole time is the one thing that Rodgers was so good at against the Seahawks was he was great against the Blitz. Well, the thing is with guys like Bosa and, you know, some of the defensive backs that they have, they don't need the blitz and they have such great coverage, you know, in that in that cover three zone scheme that you just can't find anything. And, I mean, Rodgers had a good game, but, you know, a couple mistakes and you're just too well, far behind to, to figure out anything. But, and uh, you have to complement on – with that offense, you have to complement the passing game with the running game. And that was, I think, a lot of Packers fans' fears going into this is – is uh, Jones going to show up or not? And not really. 12 carries for 56 yards. I mean, you just have to find you have to find some complement to the passing game in Green Bay. And I think all season long you saw it either it's either there or is it, or it isn't. Yeah, I mean, I think Zach's, you know, right, maybe they're a couple couple players away from being good. You know, some players on the the defensive side, maybe a quarterback on the offensive side that doesn't, you know, walk away from fumbles and whatnot. But uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that was that was a bummer to see that kind of Cam Newton esque. Yeah, Cam Newton esque. It's California, man. Aaron Rodgers just can't do it he in can't, California. He can't do it in California. Too close to too close to the family. But 
you know, obviously Rodgers will be back next year. Uh, you know, he said he had a lot of fun this year falling back in love with the game. Looks like him and Lafleur, yeah, uh, seem to work together pretty well. So, you know, with the Vikings, uh, you know, what's going to happen with Kirk Cousins and everything. Uh, Detroit are probably down. The Bears have to figure out the quarterback situation. You know, they'll certainly right. have some. They'll certainly have a good shot to, you know, at least be back at the top of the division next year. So, well, we'll talk about it more next week when we have the three of us here. But Greg, real quick, who's your uh, your first first reaction? Gut gut call. Who's winning the Super Bowl? Uh, so to get into it real quick, uh, Super Bowl Fifty Four on February second. Uh, right now, uh, the Chiefs are favored. Uh, depending on where you look, about a point to a point and a half, over under fifty three and a half. Uh, started with a pick'em, real early when it opened. Uh, moved to about one and a half. I, man, it's so tough to pick against the Chiefs. I see so many good defenses, and you just see Pat Mahomes throw it past everybody. And I think it's just one of those things where it takes a whole lot of it out of a defense. And I think the Chiefs have proven enough on defense which is amazing to say considering how bad they've been on defense that they can at least stop some of the runs they stopped Derrick Henry if they can slow down the run and force Jimmy G to throw more because really the only time he's looked I mean he looked you know he didn't do anything as a quarterback right the only real time he's looked like you know a good quarterback this playoffs was the first you know the scripted play drive uh the first I guess first drive of the game against the Vikings so if you force him to throw and you know any defense is going to have their hands full with the 49ers. I think it'll be close, but I just think Pat Mahomes will make one too many plays. Yeah, uh, I, and and I'm kind of with you there. I really one. I really want to see Andy Reid get the Super Bowl win. Uh, and but yeah, I mean Kansas City is just way too explosive on offense. Um, however, I, right now, right now, I am going to go with the 49ers by a field goal. Okay. Um, because I do think that defense can hang in there. I do think Jimmy G can step up, but. Like, and yeah, and they, what we've seen all postseason from the Chiefs is they've really struggled to get out of the gate. Uh, once it's on, it's on. Um, but it's taken about a quarter or so to get there, and you can't do that. There's, I just don't think you, you can wonder, do that against I mean, San Francisco. I understand, you know, the AFC Championship's a big play, but the Super Bowl is such a different animal. You wonder if that, that brings it out of them. Um, with a week off now, too. Yeah, so with another week off, uh, you know, for both teams to kind of figure out their, their game plan. As we mentioned, you know, the spread, uh, one and a half for the Chiefs, over under 53 and a half. Uh, next week, for all you degenerates, we're going to talk a little bit of props. Uh, we'll for get those of deep you that into are, prop betting. <laughs> that for those of you who haven't uh, been into the world of prop betting for the Super Bowl, there's everything from over under on national anthem time, amount of times they'll show someone on the screen. Gatorade bath color. Two of the uh, most interesting ones I saw clip. last year is who would show more cleavage, Giselle or Sean McVay's wife, or uh, it was will there be an interracial couple in the first commercial after kickoff? Wow. Um, yeah, there, there's like you can bet on just about any single thing possible that could happen at the Super yeah, Bowl. Yeah, I know there was like an over-under for times that they showed Giselle, uh, you know, first challenge being at a certain time, uh, you know, obviously, like we said, coin flip, over-under on, uh, or no, uh, songs for like Maroon 5, like what was the, what would be oh, their yeah. first song yep. and whatnot, over-under on, uh, I think, amount of songs that certain people would play because they had like Big Boy come out and whatnot. So, who is it this year? I, I've completely forgotten who's uh, performing it this is, year. Um, I know J Lo is one of them. I think it's a lot of the lot oh, of the Oh yeah, it's J Lo and Shakira. Shakira. That's who it is. Shakira. Yeah. Does Pitbull show up? 
does Pitbull show up? Uh, yes, I'm putting I'm putting at least five on that. But if I had to, if I had to give you just a quick little teaser in for for this week, opening odds on Super Bowl MVP Pat Mahomes plus odds plus one ten <sighs> if the Chiefs win. Whew, that's kind of Patty Mahomes. So just something spicy to uh, get you to next week. We'll give you the full rundown of prop or of props as uh, well. Maybe not as much Zach, but Josh and I occasionally like to dip our toes we'll, into some of them wagering. We'll, we'll get everybody. We'll get everybody set. Um, speaking of getting everybody set um, and getting things uh, figured out, baseball's got a lot to figure out, Greg. A ton to figure out. A uh, ton to figure out. So coming out this week, um, you done messed up, a eh, Astros. Yeah, you done so messed up. It came out that the Astros. Uh, in the MLB report, did steal signs through a camera and were using uh, some sort of uh, volume medium, whether it was you know trash can banging or whistling or something to alert players. Uh, there was a guy that was you know near the dugout, kind of in the clubhouse middling area, that had a video screen from the home plate or from uh, sorry center field to see home plate to see signs and alert the players when off-speed pitches were coming. Uh, so from this, the MLB. Uh, put down year-long suspensions for uh, Jeff Lunau and uh, A.J. Hinch, the GM and manager of the Astros, respectively. Both were then swiftly fired. Uh, in the report, they said two of the people to start off the uh, kind of throw around the idea of doing this were bench coach Alex Cora and uh, outfielder Carlos Beltran. Now, Cora, they had not, they still haven't put down a uh, official suspension because he was because um, he's also implicated in the Red Sox cheating scandal right. which may come out soon so he was actually uh, they mutually agreed to part ways before any of that came down Carlos Beltran on the other hand was not facing any sort of punishment because he was a player and right now the MLB has not has decided to not punish players but kind of a bad look for the Mets so him and the Mets agreed to part ways so a lot of moving pieces right now with the Astros. Uh, obviously, I guess there was some polls that came out that said fans, you know, would like to see players punished if they did something like this. And then also some potential ripples coming out of this cheating scandal. Also some, uh, I guess, theories from fans that the MLB has not corroborated that uh, – Certain players on the Astros were using uh, basically bandages, well, wire bandages and beeping devices where something would buzz depending on the pitch or like the location it was coming on. Uh, one of the things that was kind of the video surrounding it was uh, Jose Altuve hit a walk-off home run against the Yankees in the ALCS. And as he was rounding the plate, uh, proceeded to ask his teammates to not pull off his shirt which is one thing that a lot of teams do is they'll like pull off the guy's jersey after he's running around after they you know score the winning run and he ran right into the clubhouse to uh change after that so certainly a bad look on the astros and baseball all around josh yeah it's it's not good in the most damning piece of evidence that i've seen with the whole the whole buzzer thing with the players in houston wearing it I'm just going to offer some stats here. On the road in that 2017 season, Jose Altuve was batting 472, 472 at home. 
Is this post? Is this postseason or is this, this regular season? This was 2017 okay. season. 472 at home, 143 on the road. Correa, 371 at home, 211 away. Bregman, 273 at home, 154 away. And the best one, McCann, 300 at home, 0.037 away. So when you are seeing an entire, like not an entire lineup, but a big chunk of the lineup with those crazy, like there's definitely players that definitely hit better at home uh, than they do on the road. Sure. But when you have that big of a discrepancy, when a guy is hitting 300 at home and can't bat .050 away, .037 batting average away, 472 at home for Altuve, like that that's just like do the math folks, like something does not add up there, especially when you couple that with the videos with the amount of video and photo evidence, the amount of players coming forward in all all of this. And and I'll get to it more when I read Zach Zinger later. Um, but it's just it's hard to watch these players discuss this or try and beat it off in interviews and not discuss it and not come forward and not man up about this because it's terrible for the game. And as a Cincinnati Reds fan, this is the only time I want to bring it up. Pete Rose was banned for life for betting on his own team to win. Did he ever did he ever try and well t- change the game? Did he ever try that. and step into the game and that. fix things? No, but players we do know that happened to, nothing has happened yet. Coaches that did that, managers that did that, that have altered the game in order to win are receiving a one-year suspension, and we've got guys out there that are banned for baseball for life. Like, I just, it's, it's difficult to see this happen to baseball right now, and the players, the players should be just ashamed that they're doing this to baseball right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just get out on the, Pete Rose said he didn't bet on baseball for, the longest time so when he says he never bet against the reds it's sometimes difficult to believe but sure on on the other hand from it uh another thing that's been a a little bit of a talking point from it i know most notably it was jessica mendoza uh who actually is an espn uh baseball uh analyst and work well works for the mets uh came on golik and wingo earlier this week to talk about um you know, the Astros and stealing signs and everything and wanted to call out, you know, the player that, uh, Mike Fires. sorry, I was, I was blanking on the name for a second, tried to call out Mike Fires for being the whistleblower on this. Now, Mike Fires was a former Astros pitcher who went to the athletics who ended up calling, you know, kind of calling this stuff out and said, you know, uh, it's a bad teammate thing to do. Like he shouldn't have done it. Like something like yeah, that. Like that, that's that's just uh, that. That was so disappointing to see her take take that stance. And she tried to roll it back, but even didn't do a great job of that. Like, but this guy tried to take to take the private route. He tried to like take the private route yeah. and have this dealt the with A's, internally for years. And the A's tried to put in something, but until he came out with it, nothing came about it. And I will say the two most damning reason well the one reason why he came out with it which is the one thing that i can agree upon and i know kind of mike clevenger talked about it a little bit in kind of like a weird like interview thing as he was getting a tattoo is thinking about the players that um it affects as far as pitchers i know uh the athletic did an article that i haven't gotten a chance to to get to yet but i know there were like five players that were either released or sent down or maybe it was even seven but there were several players that were either released or sent back down after a poor 
outing in Houston against the Astros. So it's affecting guys' jobs. You know, at this point in, in the major leagues, you only get so many chances. If you Maybe if you're down to one of your last chances and you go into something like this, it's a big issue. Todd, Todd Frazier was with the Yankees that year, and he spoke to this on Lex, and he, he said, he's like, you know, I'm, I can admit it. That was, you know, probably the end of my prime. Uh, that was probably, you know, that was probably my one chance. And, you know, that game where Altuve takes Chapman deep, I mean, like, Chapman, Chapman giggles to himself afterwards yeah. and just, just kind of like, yep, that happened. And it's just like, you, when you look at all the players' reactions to this, like whether they were with the Astros, whether they played the Astros, whether you're a Yankees player that was in that championship series, whether you were in that postseason, like this is affecting people's lives, man. This is affecting baseball. And on well, a it, sport that's trying to better its image, this is bad. Well, it's also, I mean, it. One, the one thing is, is you can talk about it from the pitcher's route, but I think the one thing, uh, Trevor Bauer was on Barstool Sports, part of yeah. my take today, and I think the one interesting thought that he put up about it is it doesn't just affect the pitchers that go up and down. He was talking about it, if you're, say, you know, an NL guy, you play for, you know, you're a right fielder for the Marlins. I couldn't even tell you the right fielder for the Marlins is, honestly, but you have a decent year. And you don't even play, you know, you don't play the Astros, you don't have to worry about any of the cheating or anything, but you become a free agent at the end of the year. We'll say at the same time, you know, a George Springer or an outfielder for the Astros becomes a free agent. Maybe you guys are the same player, but he gets his stats inflated by the fact that he has this thing on him. Right. That's money that he's getting that you're probably not getting, and that's probably hiring, you know, upping his value lowering your value it's taking money off you know and obviously for some guys it doesn't really matter because you know it i mean it matters to them but you know it's millions of dollars you can take that stance but it's still taking value away from people yeah for for cheating you know there's you can take it as you know it took a world series away from people but it also you know probably you know took away the one chance for frazier it took away probably a pitcher or two's career because they didn't play well and then it also hurt the value of other players so it's one of those things that yeah maybe a teammate or two looks at him different but the overwhelming majority of teammates if you're an astro have to look horribly at you and they made that decision and he's a guy that I mean, if I was a ball player and I didn't play for the Astros, I would probably commend him because he's probably putting money back right. in my pocket because I'm not either struggling against the Astros or having to go up against those inflated numbers. Yeah, I, this this whole thing, and you know, this has been this the coach's managerial standpoint. That part of it, that part of the investigation, kind of went on for uh, that started mid November, um, and we're only at this point. So, like, I'm really, really hoping that we can get a lot more further in this before opening day um you know i don't think that's going to happen a lot goes into this um obviously it's i won't call it a league-wide thing but now yeah then you get to that point where you start to question you start to question everything now yeah and now that's one. well that's one of the things you know um now there's still the red sox and it's one of those things that you know Honestly, at that points, it's it's worse than than the juicing. But you look at you know guys that hit a ton of home runs. You know they get off to a hot start and they hit five home runs in their first four games. You know people go, oh, he's probably juicing. Now it's going to be every time you hit a home run or every time a team gets really hot for an inning or two, you're like, oh, they're probably cheating. Right. And it's just another stain on the game that's trying. You know, I understand no bad press is good press, and they're getting pressed during championship week and whatnot. But 
Yeah. It's, Man, yeah. this isn't great. It, it's not good. And, it, it, yeah, you can say they're getting press in the offseason, but like I said earlier, as a league that's trying to better its image and gain fans, this is terrible, terrible, terrible. So we'll talk about it more next week. Maybe, maybe we'll have some better news come out of that, but I, I don't know. Definitely not a good look for MLB. Well... Also, in that not a great look, but not exact, not a cheating look. Uh, we start off our national segments. Feats of ineptitude. Of ineptitude. So uh, this stems from what can only be called one of the worst three-point shooting displays ever uh, by the Vanderbilt Commodores. So, uh, Saturday night, in a loss to Tennessee, the Vanderbilt Commodores went 0 for 25 from 3. Yikes. So, the big takeaway from that is that they had had a streak of over 1,000 games, 1,080 games, actually. Since the advent of the three-point line, the Commodores had at least made 1-3 in every game they had played in. That streak... Ended Saturday and actually only leaves two teams left, Josh, that have made a three-pointer in every single game they've played in since the advent of the three-point line. Would love to throw it over to Zach here for him to guess. Already told you. Yeah, he did. I can only remember one of them right now. I know UNLV is one of the teams. I can't remember the second team. The Ivy League, of course. Ah, yes. The Princeton Tigers. So both those teams have made one in every game since the advent of the three-point line, but we're not talking about good records, Josh. We're talking about bad records, and we're going to start with the one that was actually almost equaled by Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt did set an SEC record with most three-point attempts without a make, only being bested in the NCAA by a 2012 Northwestern State team that went 0 for 26 from three. Yikes. Imagine 26. How many threes do you think you'd have to take before you make, even in a You could, build a, a house, you could build a house with all them bricks. Oh, my goodness. Man. So, um, well, you want to go with some of your uh, your other feats of ineptitude? Yeah, sure. So uh, most of mine revolve around uh, points and three-pointers. But to start off, I have uh, just a couple of NCAA ineptitude records. Of course, losing streak. The longest Division One losing streak is Towson, who lost a record 41 straight games in 2011 to 2012. Ouch. Uh, recently, as we mentioned, three-pointers in a game without a make. Not by a team, but by a single player. Uh, and this is kind of an interesting stat. In the pl- in the uh, tournament against Kentucky, Wofford's Fletcher McGee went 0 for 12 from three to set a record. Uh, interesting stat about that. He actually also owns the record for the most made three-pointers in D1 history, but just did not have a good game that night. Um, also, uh, actually two teams in on this, the fewest points and a half. The Northern Illinois University Huskies had four points in 2013 versus Eastern Michigan, going one for 31 from the field. That's 3.2%, also a record for worst percentage for a half. Finished up the game shooting eight for 61, 13.5% for the game. The interesting stat that precedes that is the team that they played Eastern Michigan actually matched that record with only four points in 2018 versus Rutgers so not a whole lot of scoring going on and no. I guess with some of those matching teams is it uh, Josh what do you have 
for your ineptitude records? Uh, I've got a few. Um, uh, have you ever heard of a man uh, called Chris Dudley? Maybe once or twice. Yeah, uh, played for the uh, the Blazers uh, back in 1990. He missed 17 of 18 free throws, uh, including 13 straight at one point. Yeah, because that sounds like some Andre Drummond stuff. Yeah, worst all time behind Ben Wallace. Oh, no. Uh, 1980, the Winnipeg Jets uh, in their second season, uh, nine wins, 57 losses. They were on a 25-game losing streak at one point. Uh, throwing it way, way, way back, 1909, a man named Bill Burgeon. Who could forget? He was a catcher for the Cincinnati Reds. Big Bill Burgey. He had a 170 career batting average, Ooh. and in 1909, he only hit for 139 and went 46 at-bats without a hit. 46. Good, Bob. Great, great, fantastic defensive catcher. Horrible. He made 11 seasons out of his career starting wow. in the MLB because he was such a great defensive catcher, but bad at only 170. Wow. I can't it's, even believe with, that. With the Reds, though. The analytics guys would chuck oh, you out of no. the ground. Uh, April 1988, the Orioles started off the season, uh, went 1-22 in the month of April 1988 with 21 straight losses. Who was the manager for that team, Josh? Um, uh, Cali? Cal Ripken Cal, yeah, Sr. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Prairie View A&M. Prairie View A&M is an the FCS Panthers. school. Yes, sir. Uh, and from 1989 to 1998, nine years, they did not win a single game. They went nine years and had 80 straight games without a win. I believe they're a swag team. They actually went to the NCAA tournament last year with a win over Texas. So, and that's yeah, just off the them. top of my head. Oh, my goodness. I they've, watched they've, too come, much they've come a long way since then. This was back well, this in— Well, uh, this is basketball, not football. Ah, well, yeah, I'm talking. Uh, I'm talking football. Um, and just to put it into perspectives, uh, the Mud Dogs from Adam Sandler's The Water Boy, their their fam- infamous losing streak was 46 games. The Prairie View A and M losing streak was 80 games spanning over nine years. So major feat of ineptitude there. Well, I know uh, one of the streaks of ineptitude that's near and dear to uh, my heart is actually while my mother was uh, studying at. One Northwestern University, the Wildcats had the longest FBS losing streak mm. ever, with a 34-game losing streak between uh, 1979 and 1981. The Wildcats were outscored 505 to 82, an average of 40 points per game. Uh, just as a little aside, by that, Wowzers. my uh, my grandfather went to one of the games after grow after uh, you know during some of his years going to Notre Dame games and seeing a very successful team went to go see Northwestern and uh, was very confused why the band was playing and everybody was cheering so loud. My mom turned to him and said, Dad, we got a first down. Like it was basically winning a game for Northwestern just to even get a first down in those games. So would love to hear the other streaks of ineptitude that you guys have. Uh, be sure to send in uh, at 30 Rack Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, anything inept, whether it be college, NBA, NFL, NHL, KHL, your gambling Premier week. League, your gambling week. Uh, we could uh, have stories. Yeah, stories. Uh, moving on to our next segment. Um, as we said, we've got the Pro Bowl this week. We've got the Super Bowl in two weeks. Not far behind that, we have the XFL. Vince McMahon's league. But uh, XFL, obviously 
football. Um, yeah, great to scratch, scratch that football itch during the spring, but few things might be a little bit different than what you'd see in the NFL, and uh, we're just going to kind of run quick fire through some of these changes and maybe talk about some of the ones we like the best. Uh, first off, kickoffs. So kickoffs, the kicker will stand at the 25-yard line, and the returner will stand back by his end zone. The rest of the kickoff team will stand at the opponent's 35-yard line, and the return team will stand at uh, their own 30-yard line. Neither team can move aside of the kicker and the returner until the ball is caught or hits the ground. So basically, it's just this weird stop until it's caught, then everybody starts running. It's very weird. An out-of-bounds kick goes to the kicking team's 45-yard line. Um, for punts, they do not. They want you to go for it. So no gunners on punts, and touchbacks go to the 35-yard line. Once again, wanting you to go for it and also a chance to get back into the games, they do not have an extra point kick option. So instead of that, you have your choice of a one, two, or three-point try, the one-pointer from the two-yard line, the two-pointer from a five-yard line, and the three-pointer from a ten-yard line. The defensive returns also account for how many points you're going for. Uh, But the interesting thing about that is now a nine-point game would technically be a one-possession game. Yeah. Um, Now, and yeah, if the defense gets a turnover on that and they take it back to the house, they get whatever point you you were going for. for. So if it's weird... You have to take it 98 yards just to get one point, but only 90 yards to get three points. But that's how it goes. Uh, Overtime. Overtime is actually uh, kind of falls in line with this. You get a five-round shootout, quote-unquote, of the two-point conversions. So actually, I think it would be a one-point conversion because it would be from the two-yard line. So basically, each team will get uh, alternating five tries from the two-yard line, and whoever gets the most will win and then you'll you'll keep going if necessary but it's kind of a quick way they said you know instead it's a five or six minute way to kind of speed things up um well one last thing before we get to speeding things up they also will allow kind of a weird rule a double forward pass yeah so if the first pass is uh completed behind the line of scrimmage you can have two forward passes so if it's a forward screen or a shovel pass you can throw that and then throw a second pass as long as you're behind the line of scrimmage for that second pass. So that's uh, kind of an interesting little fun rule that you you might see, you know, some interesting plays with some shovel passes. Uh, the other one, to kind of keep things short, they have the clock running continuously outside of two minutes and only a 25-second play clock after the ball is spotted and two timeouts instead of three and a 60-second replay limit, really trying to speed up the game instead of, you know, those three, three-and-a-half-hour games, trying to get it done in two, maybe two-and-a-half hours. So I guess, Josh, out of these rules, which one do you like the best? Um, my favorite one is the overtime one. Um, I think, uh, like, this is something that a lot of leagues have kind of experimented with is fixing overtime rules. I, like, know MLB in the minor leagues at, at the All-Star game this past year did, instead of extra innings, they did, uh, like, a home run derby style type, like, shootout slice style yeah. thing. This, I think, is so cool because it really puts up, you know, that goal line stand each time. Like, who can make the stand each time? It really feels like that shootout style thing. So I, I don't know if it'll work or not, but it's definitely going to make things interesting. I think it's a really unique, cool idea that will make the end of games really exciting. Um, so I think one of the more interesting ones, I don't know if it's my favorite. I, I, I kind of want to see it in action because I'm interested to see, you know, they haven't really mentioned anything with onside kicks, but the kickoff with the two teams, and there have been some videos on the XFL's Twitter, 
and I'm sure we'll we'll retweet one or two at uh at Thirty Rack Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. But they basically have these two teams instead of you know guys sprinting at each other from you know far away and kind of right. a dangerous game. They want to increase the amount of returns and increase action, so it's just not kind of an empty touchback, but allow it so people are only running from so far. So it's more or less like you know a lineman engaging a linebacker, so you're not running at each other for 30 yards before you make contact. So it's certainly something that I think might make it a little bit safer, but I just, I'm interested to see if in this situation, if most of the kickoffs are just going to end in the same spot or people are actually going to be able to break them. Right. Yeah. I'm interested to see if that's going to work. That's, I guess that rule is the most interesting one to me on whether it works or not, because I think that one could really be the one that affects things differently like the outcome of those kickoffs are going to be much different than the outcome of kickoffs in the nfl which could be a good thing yeah uh the one thing that i don't know uh, has kind of interested me is you know with the with the extra point as well so they have basically what would be a two-point conversion is only worth one point now so I, i you know you'd almost like to see one point for a kick two points for a two-point conversion, maybe a three, then four. Right. And maybe make it, you know, like a ten-point thing or something like that. I, But I think there are tweaks that can be made, and I certainly like the fact that they're kind of going out there with, with a number of things. So uh, probably putting it – I think we're going to make a poll for uh, what is your favorite XFL rule change. I think probably kickoffs, uh, the extra point, the five-round shootout, or – what, we want to go with the double forward pass? Yeah, we could go double forward pass or uh, another. You could write something in on what's your favorite. We'll probably have this poll up midweek um, on Twitter at 30 Rack Podcast. Um, so, yeah, be uh, get studied up. XFL is going to be here sooner than we know it, so get studied up. Or, hell, if, if you even just like the ball, the ball is going to be a little different. Um, it's supposed to be enhanced. So we'll see. Um, we'll do a little refresher after the Super Bowl on who our XFL teams are on the podcast, who we'll be rooting for, and uh, get you all set to go for this yeah, talk spring little, football season. Talk a little rosters, revisit the rules, and uh, I'll be cleared to engage for the Battle Hawks. <laughs> cleared to engage. I like it. All right. Well, from one happy thing to some uh, upsetting things, as we always like to do, being Ohio sports fans. We have plenty to complain about. And by plenty to complain about, I mean plenty to complain about. So to uh, start our last part of the show, we like to zing. We like to grumble. We like to jeer. Josh, I believe you have Zach Zinger all pulled up. Uh, Zach, what is Uh, Zach Zinger? I've got Zach Zinger, as we alluded to earlier. Uh, He said, I was going to do the Astros players and their lack of remorse on interviews and playing this whole uh, it's them against the world thing. It just shows that they don't feel bad one bit. How I wish they had been able to suspend guys like Bregman and Altuve says Zach in his zinger. Yeah, and I mean, you know, obviously people are going to go back and forth on suspending the players, but I do think the one thing that's very weird is it's like, there's no sense of remorse. Like, you've already been found guilty, and I understand there's nothing coming on the players, but your organization's already been found guilty. Right, you were, we part, of, know, you were part of a scandal. Yeah, we know all you guys did it, and the fact that there's no remorse is is very difficult. Uh, Josh's jeer, my jeer, Yeah, Josh, uh, is uh, to DePaul. Um, I was watching the Butler DePaul game. DePaul knocked off number five Butler. Good for them. Big one. Awesome. Um, but like no one seemed to care. Like they were at DePaul and like the game was the game ended and I'm just watching it and I'm like, 
I'm like turning up my TV. I was like, are they, do they know it's over? Like, do they care? Did they storm the court? Yeah, and 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 they they cut away afterwards. So I don't know, maybe they did storm the court and I just didn't see it. But just like the noise level alone, like I know it's not a big place there or whatever, but I was just like, man, you just beat the number five team in the country. Like yeah. are, are upsets that common this year that we're not getting excited about? And them? I mean, DePaul's having a chance to make it to the tournament for the first time since like yeah. 2004. I, I mean, I know DePaul's in, you know, going through the Renaissance right there and everything, but man, get excited up there. Come on. Yeah, certainly something you want to see. And on the other side, what I'm grumbling is not people Greg's lack of grumble. excitement, but or not people's excitement, but people's lack of excitement, I guess, as well as people complaining about the Super Bowl matchup. I've, I've seen a lot of things about, oh my goodness, it's Chiefs versus 49ers, who cares? And I think it's very weird. Would you rather have retreads of the Patriots and whatnot? Yeah. And I think some of it, I think a lot of it probably in my mentions are the random people that just decided to be Packers fans out of nowhere, even though they're from Ohio, like Zach. But uh, I just don't get it. Like, I understand if you're a Packer fan, you want your team to be in. I mean, I understand you've had two generational quarterbacks and Brett Favre and Matt Flynn, but, you know. Yeah, I think I think everyone was kind of looking forward to the uh, the Super Bowl one rematch. But I mean, like, come, I, what can you be upset about this for? I mean, you still have plenty of history there in the Chiefs and 49ers, and you're gonna have great defense versus great offense. I think we're in for a classic. Yeah, man. you're you're into the best offense, the best defense. I expect to see a good game. I don't know if it's gonna be high scoring or low scoring. I don't know who's gonna be. I don't think it'll be like a low scoring thing like it was last year. Yeah. But I'm not expecting like a shootout by any means. But I'm still expecting a great football game. Like we could have a classic matchup here i don't know what people are upset about yeah so you know the the game of red pantones you get all the voices you want to hear you've heard sherman chirping earlier you get bosa you get george kittle wearing garoppolo shirts you get patrick mahomes just voice in general you yeah. know you, <laughs> right you get you get andy reed like get, i want to see andy reed get a super bowl win man i want to see andy reed allegedly go on that diet and show up in a Hawaiian shirt to Miami. Like, I do want to see the Hawaiian shirt on that man. So, he pulls it off like no one you else know, can. So, so much good stuff to see. Uh, you know, Great Super Bowl based on teams, and it's certainly something to be excited for. And, you know, obviously we can't be as excited as we'd like to be without any Ohio teams in there. But, you know, as far as a matchup that you'd want to see go, this is certainly near the top. Yeah. So it's, it's something that we're both looking forward to. All right. Alrighty, and then to end the show, as we like to do, we don't like to leave you on a sour note. It may be Ohio sports, Give but a shout out hey, here. we're drinking with you. We're getting through. It'll get better, Ohio, because God knows it can't get much worse around here. Exactly. Bengals got the first overall pick. Browns got another head coach. Cavs can't get much worse, but the Blue Jackets on fire. Flyers flying. We'll see what happens in Ohio. Josh, who are you shouting out this week? I am shouting out your mom, Greg. Shout well, out Patty. I'm shouting out uh, you personally for getting me the ticket to uh, the beer bash. Um, that was a fantastic time. Uh, I drank more high percentage beers than I thought possible. Um, and your mom was DD. So remember, if you're ever at a beer bash or doing a binge listening of 30 Rack of Sports, Drink responsibly. Have the DD. Yeah, guys, get a DD. Get an Uber sometimes. If you're with a group of friends, maybe one of the guys takes takes a night off. I know I've done that before. Shout out to DDs, it's, I guess. 
You know what? Sometimes it's fun just to yeah. make fun of the, the drunk guys. Uh, you know, sometimes when you go to the bars and you're DD, they'll give you like free pops and whatnot, which is always kind of a bonus because, you know, no, the bars, right. the other drivers on the road, the people that you're with, nobody wants to see DDs. And with, you know, uh, recent events, Chandler Parsons yeah. for the Hawks, yeah. potentially getting career ending uh, injuries in a, in a crash with a drunk driver. It's something you never want to see. So us on 30 Rack telling you to drink responsibly. Mine might not be as a- Shout out to DDs. As high level, but it's, you know, it's people stepping up in the clutch, I think. Uh, my shout out goes to the two goaltenders, uh, two rookie goaltenders uh, in Kiblinix and Elvis oh, Merzlikens. Yeah, absolutely. Great uh, you shout know, out. With Corpusalo getting hot and kind of starting this, you know, uh, streak for the Jackets, he goes down. People are putting down Elvis after some of his early comments, but he's been nothing but great. Like I said, three shoutouts in his last four games. Kiblinix, you know, uh, getting his first career start, his first career win, also has the Joker on his helmet, yeah. which is sweet. It's awesome. He's like, why do you have it on? Why do you have it on your helmet? Because I like the Joker. I guess he did Peter Griffin when he was in you know, the lower levels. People loved it. So keep being you. So shout out to being you and shout out to stepping up when you're needed. Because sometimes... Up. You may not know it. You may need to step up. You may need to be a DD. 30 Rack, we're all about drinking responsibly and stepping up over here. Great segues. For Zach, who's unfortunately not here but still gets in some of his sad Packer takes. Get well soon, buddy. For Josh, running the ones and twos. Thank you, my man, and the new mic that that you rolled in. And for Greg trying to tie this whole thing together, we'll see you next week to lament over Ohio sports and Hopefully have some stuff to shout out as well. Yep. For 30 Rack, peace. Peace.